everyone. I'm Chris Lesniak. And I'm Rob Meyer. And this is the Debate Math Podcast. Hey, listeners. Before we start today, our exclusive sponsor, Hand to Mind, is supporting our ability to bring you today's podcast. For over 50 years, Hand to Mind has been filling gaps in core curriculum and improving learning outcomes with supplemental hands-on resources in math, literacy, and science. Hand to Mind is committed to providing high-quality resources and tools that are effective, flexible, and easy to use. We know that multi-sensory, hands-on instruction in math is critical to helping students build meaningful connections and make sense of abstract concepts. Visit handtomind.com. That's the word hand, the number two, or the word mind.com to learn more about tools and resources to enhance your math instruction. College, a topic on some parents' minds even before high school. The admissions process can cause a lot of stress for some, and for many, it can sway what math courses students pursue. Should students take honors or AP courses? Is calculus important to be college ready? Well, there's a lot to say on this, and I hear parents and teachers stressed about this topic all the time. They want to know what is the right move. So we thought it was something to dive into in today's debate. However, we are doing something a little different this time. Instead of teams, we have four separate points of view in this four-way debate about calculus and college admissions. So we have four guests in four very different roles or different viewpoints on this college readiness topic. So let's start with our two guests who work primarily with like the high school side of things. So here debating uh, kind of from a secondary math teaching perspective is a math educator since 2003, the author of Open Middle Math, Problems That Unlock Student Thinking the creator of the Observe Me movement and founder and president of Grassroots Workshops, Robert Kaplinski. Hi, Robert. Hey, everyone. I'm happy to be here. Thank you. Robert, can you tell our listeners where you are and what your current role is? Yeah, I live in Long Beach, California, and my current role these days is I'm a math consultant and also president of Grassroots Workshops. So I get to work with teachers sort of through that lens. Very good. And then also arguing from a high school perspective, uh, we have the director of college counseling at Columbus Academy who has worked in the field of college admissions and counseling for over 20 years, Darnell Haywood. Hi, Darnell. Oh, hello. Thank you all for having me today. Can you tell us a little bit about where you are and what your current role is? Yes. So I am um, currently in um, an independent private day school, um, Columbus Academy in um, Gahanna, Ohio, and I'm the director of college counseling. So I run an office that is um, really advising students as they look to go to college. All right. And and before we get to our other guests, I want to come back to Robert and Darnell and ask you the question we ask all of our guests. Uh, when did math first become controversial to you? And Robert, can you start us off? When I left college, I thought I knew everything about math. I was a math major in college, and I felt like that was peak understanding. And I remember being in a professional development training where someone asked, when you do, when you divide a fraction by a fraction, why do you do uh, change it to multiplication by the reciprocal? And in that moment, I had no clue. And I was thinking, well, you know, if I made it this far, maybe you don't need to know that. And I sort of went through the stages of like denial of like, well, maybe there isn't a reason. And well, if there is a reason, I don't need to know it. And then you get to this realization of, wait, if I don't even know this, what does that mean about my own knowledge? What does that mean about the knowledge and my ability to teach students? And just this reality that there's not just one way to understand a mathematical concept. And that really shook me to my core. And it was sort of like 
the beginning of the downside of the Dunning-Kruger effect, where you start to realize how much you actually don't know about mathematics. And I think that that has been a really important uh, moment for me. Excellent. And Darnell, when did math first become controversial to you? Well, it's kind of the opposite of Robert. Um, I left high school thinking that I knew nothing about math. I was told that I was a terrible math student and asked to um, drop out of a class that was, um, you know, a it was a, a pre-calculus class, actually. I didn't even get through it. And um, I think it became controversial to me later in my life when my husband said to me, you know, honey, you're really good at math. You understand statistics. You, un you have a math thinking kind of way. And I think I began to see that maybe I was sold short by the race to the top of the way that math is taught. And that perhaps in that moment, um, you know, high school in the 80s, that um, I just wasn't encouraged to continue with it. Wow. Thank you both. Uh, and now we turn to the college side. Arguing from the college math teaching perspective is a mathematics educator professor at Duquesne University in Pittsburgh who teaches school mathematics and math pedagogy to pre-K through 12 pre-service teachers, Dr. Rachel Aiko. Hi, Rachel. Hello. Can you tell our listeners uh, where you are and what your current role is? So as you have heard, I am a mathematics education professor at Duquesne, and I teach pre-K through for content and mathematics, that is actually school mathematics, and also how to teach mathematics, mathematics pedagogy. And I am also currently directing a program that is called the Woodrow Wilson Fellows, where we are supporting STEM graduates in a one-year residency program to prepare to teach mathematics and science in the underserved schools. So I have been in that role for the past two years and I'm enjoying what it means to start teaching and thinking differently from probably where you've grown up. All right. And also arguing from the college side, from college admissions, is the executive director of undergraduate admissions at the Ohio State University, who is beginning her 40th year in college admissions this summer, Dr. Beth Weiser. Hi, Beth. Hello, good afternoon. How's everyone? Great, great, great. So can you tell our listeners where you are, what your current role is, and uh, you know, what brings you here? I'm coming to you from the Columbus campus of The Ohio State University, sitting right in the middle of Columbus, Ohio. In my role, I oversee a team of 55 people who are located across the country to be able to bring students to The Ohio State University. And uh, this year we worked um, with more than 71,000 applications for students who wanted to enroll in one of our 15 colleges and schools here on the Columbus campus. Great. Thank you. And uh, coming back to both of you to ask the question that we know is coming, when did math first become controversial to you? And Rachel, we're going to start with you. So interestingly, I have always thought that I knew my math because I did very well in high school math and I did um, college level math and I taught mathematics for a couple of years. And so I begin my doctoral program and I'm working in a project as a graduate assistant and we are really studying how fractions are being, um, pre-service teachers are preparing to teach fractions. 
And we um, are looking at division of fractions and multiplication of fractions. And in my mind, I knew that all I need to do is multiply the numerators, multiply the denominators when I'm multiplying fractions. And when I'm dividing, I invert and multiply. And in this particular project, we were looking at the conceptual understanding and drawing a lot of math drawings. And I'm looking at myself and I was, why are we wasting all this time? Why can't we just do what I have been doing? And I found myself feeling frustrated and not even knowing what is happening. And again, as an international um, student, I was now becoming very self-conscious that really I thought I knew my math, but it seems like I don't. And this is supposed to be very easy math. That really was my controversial point until I started slowly learning it and appreciating it. But at that point, it was frustrating. Thank you. <laughs> wow. And Beth, coming to you, uh, when did math first become controversial to you? When I finished high school and enrolled at Emory University with the desire to become a dentist, believe it or not, uh, part of the, I, at my high school, the top math course that was offered in the high school was pre-calculus. And so I went off to Emory thinking that I was ready uh, to tackle calculus, which was the standard curriculum for someone who was in the pre-medical or pre-dental track. And I happened to, you know, there are many, many sections of calculus, and I happened to have a professor who taught calculus in a very unusual way. So as I compared notes with my friends about what they were learning in calculus, it wasn't until maybe the middle of the quarter that we actually kind of looked at a calculus book because it was this professor's desire to be able to think about a very unique way to teach calculus. So the interesting part of that is after, you know, I got through the calculus course and I took a second quarter from him and completed my requirement, I learned, uh, oh, about um, a, a next year that he was not granted tenure as part of his uh, and was asked to leave the university. And, and I think it was directly related to there was this preconceived path of how calculus should be taught and how math should be taught, uh, whereas it was, you know, very much rote learning for me and it was very understandable when I was in high school. The interesting piece was I decided that dental school was not the path that I wanted to take. And I ended up uh, becoming certified in the state of Georgia to teach middle school math and science. And so that was the path from this freshman year calculus course to be able to think, I really do have a love of math. It was taught in a very unique way, but the idea of being able to translate that into, particularly for middle school students, this fear of learning math to be able to translate it into their ways to be able to present concepts that are understandable. Outside of student teaching, I never did teach middle school math and science, went directly into college admissions, and uh, used my math skills every day. Wonderful. Thank you both for those stories. And with that, let's get into the debate. 
All right, we're going to begin with opening statements from each of our speakers. You each have up to two minutes to present your arguments. And we're going to start with those working at the secondary schools first as we prepare students for applying for college. So we're going to start and go in the same order we just introduced everyone in and start with Robert Kopinski. And Robert, you have two minutes. Your time begins now. All right. So my claim is that universities should not give AP calculus preference in the admissions process. Now, the most common way to get calculus in high school is acceleration and cramming multiple years of math into fewer years. For example, teaching three years of middle school math in just two years. Now, according to a survey of 383 math teachers, 85% of them stated that there was not enough time to teach all their standards in one year. So inevitably, this requires, this acceleration requires teachers to skip chunks of math standards or spend so little time on them that they're not well understood by students. Now, perhaps you're thinking that this is the price that we're willing to pay to get students to AP Calculus. But what happens when those same students get to college? The National Center for Education Statistics did a longitudinal study of about 800,000 U.S. high school calculus students to see what happened to them when they got to college. Here's the breakdown. Approximately 19% of them passed the AP Calculus test and took the next calculus class. Now, this is the only desirable outcome. That leaves about 81% of students who had undesirable outcomes, and let's see what those were. About 19% retook the same calculus class in college and got an A or a B. About 12% took the same calculus class and earned a C or less. About 31% took pre-calculus, college algebra, or remedial math, and about 19% took other math classes like stats or no math at all. Now think about what this is implying. Of our high-flying students who took AP Calculus in high school, about 30% took the same class over again when they got to college, and about 50% of them actually went backwards. At the same time, there are other valuable fourth-year math classes that do not require acceleration, like AP statistics or data science, which is like a marriage of computer science and statistics. It's time for us to update our admissions processes and stop giving AP calculus preference, which is a policy that universities like Harvard and the universities of California have already adopted. All right. Thank you, Robert. And uh, next up, we are going to hear from college counselor Darnell Haywood. Darnell, you have two minutes and your time begins now. Okay, well, thank you, Robert. It's very interesting to hear your thoughts on this. And I do want to tell you that I sit in the office that's between high school and college, and our job is to translate what students are, um, what we're hearing from colleges and universities. And my advice is high school students should take calculus if they have the opportunity to do so. Calculus is an upper level challenging a high school math course. Um, the rigorous thinking that calculus courses require is valuable to high school students, no matter what they decide to study in college. And right now, in the space that we live in, it is a course that is recognizable to all college admissions officers. When giving advice, admissions officers often share students should take the most challenging courses available to them in their high school. Calculus is considered one of those courses. When college applications are read, in seven to eight minutes, having calculus on a transcript is an easy way for an admissions application reader to see the strength of an applicant. Wonderful. And next up, we'll hear from math professor, Dr. Rachel Ayeko. And Rachel, you have two minutes. Your time begins now. My view is math or college readiness should prioritize a selection of math courses that promote a deep understanding of mathematics, critical thinking, and the use of reasoning to examine the world. 
The high school math courses should provide pathways that ensure that students are learning the mathematics they need to be successful in any profession they choose to pursue in college. Students should be able to choose courses that are not only available to them, but those that align with their interests and goals. Courses such as data science and statistics for mathematics readiness apply to nearly every field. In addition, these courses allow students to learn how to understand the world. For example, statistical knowledge helps students learn how to solve problems, reason, collect information, make decisions daily, predict future performance, and communicate the information in understandable ways. In sum, we need students who can apply mathematics to analyze different situations in their communities and communicate these findings as they begin to think deeply about creating a better world in the career paths they plan to follow. In the 21st century, graduates need to use big data in all sectors of science and society. We therefore should emphasize data literacy in our current courses. In addition, to improve data science literacy, we ought to promote learning statistics or related courses available in the high school curriculum for college readiness. A math course that allows students to pursue any course of study will motivate students to persist in learning the content. And lastly, the equity dimension. We should not stress some AP courses because not all schools have the resources to include these courses in their curriculum. Thank you, Rachel. And last, we will hear from College Admissions Executive Director, Dr. Beth Weiser. Uh, Beth, you have two minutes and your time begins now. My claim is that math is an important measure for college admission and having strong math preparation beyond Algebra 2 is the foundation for most areas of study in higher education. And having a minimum math preparation is critical for higher education success, particularly in the competitive admission process. The data we've collected at Ohio State is that students who successfully complete four or more high school math units perform better and stronger in most areas of study, but those courses don't necessarily need to include calculus. There's not a single pathway to meet this requirement. Curricular reforms at the state level, such as math pass, the math pathways implementation in Ohio, acknowledge that there's more than one pathway to achieve math readiness for higher education. Having multiple math pathways allow students and encourage them not to opt out of math, which often happens when there's only that singular pathway, such as calculus, at the advanced level. Most higher education institutions, even in competitive situations, can provide the instruction to teach the necessary math curriculum to earn a degree in the chosen field. At Ohio State, we help students meet where they are, recognizing that not all students have access to AP calculus or calculus in a dual enrollment situation, but they're able to successfully complete college-level math. And in addition, those who have calculus 
they are still following the same curriculum in higher education. We continue to advocate in a competitive admission situation to urge students to continue with higher level math, but not exclusively calculus. Perfect. Thank you all. Well, you gave us lots to think about already. Um, I'm, I'm hearing a common theme that on all sides, or at least many sides, that there should be multiple pathways for students in high school. And, and I guess my first question, and, and Darnell is kind of what you were saying, like the, the students and parents and college admissions office, their co uh, college counseling offices in high school are kind of pushing kids towards calculus because they're just in the ether somewhere. There's some feeling at least that calculus is required or important or will make them stand out. Um, and, and so how do we shift that thinking? <laughs> I don't even know how to answer this question, but how do we shift that thinking for families, for teachers, for, I don't know, college admissions to get people to see that it, there, there should be multiple pathways? So I think right now the reality is that college admissions, this is shorthand. So I'm not saying I believe that calculus is right for all students, but when a high school offers that as the most rigorous courses and a kid or a family is looking at the most selective colleges, like Robert said, I mean, we know that these competitive programs, they use that as a, as a gold standard, whether that may or may not be in the best interest of students. So my idea is really that um, math professors on college campuses need to talk with admissions officers, and we need to have some change at that level. Because if there is change from admissions, then the high school counselors, the high school curriculum will um, reflect what is given value in in that process. Maybe jump to Beth with that then. Beth, is, is there a change happening in college admissions in the view of things, or how do we help shift that? I, I think the change uh, is not consistent across the board. So in terms of, you know, Robert referring to change at certain institutions that have begun to happen, I think in the state of Ohio, as a, you know, the largest public university, we've been in conversation, and to your point, Darnell, to have the faculty and our institutions at the table to be able to talk about what are and help shape what is the math pathway of the future so that we get students to be able to appropriately take courses so that they're not opting out. Often when there are limitations in curriculum, it means that students then are not choosing to continue in math, and particularly when they're still exploring what are those, those areas of interest. I think there's a great conversation that's part of this happening now in the fact that that the message is being carried forward that math is important in many areas that you study, and Rachel, you referenced this, in many areas that you study, it's just that in certain high schools, and particularly smaller high schools, rural, uh, under-resourced high school, the selection of those math courses are maybe not available. However, you know, places like the state of Ohio are, are trying to address that to be able to create more options than just a singular pathway. And, and Rachel and Robert, I want to give you a chance to weigh in on this a little bit. And how can we help high schools shift that mentality 
uh, wise, uh, resources are a whole other issue, right? Um, or, or how do we help as, as professors, Dr. Aiko, how do we help send that message to the admissions offices? So one of the things that I found out in some study that was done and it was in higher education is trying even to understand why are the students pushing to take certain courses like the AP calculus. And it was interesting to note that they were not taking it to broaden their knowledge, but more so they were taking it because it looks good on their college application. And so my worry now is that even if the students are taking the calculus AP courses, how many of them are successful and are able to get the three to five credits that um, the college will allow them to, you know, get? And very few, in fact, the percentage was less than 20% are actually passing. The majority of students are doing well in the, you know, the beginning courses and they are A students, but when they get to the AP uh, calculus, they're struggling. AP um, calculus BC is very rigorous and it might even be better for students who are able to work in a fast space. And, and so I'm arguing that we need to help um, schools understand the reason why the kids are going down the pathway of taking so many courses that at the end of it, not many of them are even successful. Instead, we should promote the students to take courses that interest them, that they enjoy. Because one of the things that we really want is we want students to continue in their passion of mathematics. So why would they start their high school maths and then at some point it's like, I can't do this anymore. And that is where they lose the interest. So I would rather that they have a course sequence that they are interested in, that they enjoy, that is available to them, and that will still help them to be successful in college. And that is possible if they took courses that sometimes they can apply to their everyday life. For example, the AP statistics or a statistics course where they can actually see what is happening. For example, if they wanted to understand the air quality in their, um, where they are, the community they're from, it would be good for them to collect that data, understand the data, talk about it. And this is something that they will continue using in college in whatever field. They know what does it mean to collect data? What does it mean to understand that data? What is, does it mean to talk about what I've found? I think for me, that is what would be a college-ready student. You, and, and to Robert, how do we help high schools maybe make that shift or encourage that shift? I think we need to look at both the, the harm that this policy causes and uh, what other universities are saying. So let's talk about the harm. So as Dr. Weiser said, it used to be standard practice that the, the, the ultimate class in high school was pre-calculus. So when they put calculus into high school, now you have to do one extra year of mathematics in that four-year period. And the crazy thing is in 1980, about 50,000 U.S. students took the AP calculus test. Nowadays, it's almost 50,000 10th graders taking it. Like, can you process what insanity that means? That means that you have to like take three extra, like 
like four, five, six years of math in, in four years. That's insane. And the reality is, going back to what Dr. Aiko said, that if only 20% of students who take calculus in high school can go on to the next class, then we failed 80% of those students. Like if another 30% of them are literally taking the same exact class, that actually happened to me. I passed AP calculus in 11th grade, but I so understood it so poorly, I took it again as a freshman. So what the hell was the point of rushing me? And then there's another 30%, 40, 50% who are taking remedial math or uh, pre-calculus. Like they literally went backwards. So we went so fast that they missed all those foundational skills. What was the point of all of it? The other thing is, I, I think we literally should share word for word what universities like Harvard said. I'm going to quote this from their admissions uh, application. Calculus is neither a requirement nor a preference for admission to Harvard. We understand that many students have no intention to pursue college coursework that requires a knowledge of calculus and that other students are unsure of their future studies, future college studies. Thus, we encourage applicants to pursue the pathways through math that are available to them that align with their interests and goals. Like there are many universities, Dr. Weiser said a very similar thing. Like if people knew both the harm that these policies were causing and the reality that a lot of the best schools don't need this anymore, then I would love to believe that people would have a sanity check and realize that this competition to one-up the next family is not helping anyone. But I'd have to say you don't see that in practice. So they are putting it in writing. But when a high school offers the calculus, it's just I know this because at our school, we don't see our kids getting accepted at, at various universities. Some of the ones you've mentioned, if they decide they want to take um, you know, through pre-calculus and then pursue others. It's very hard. It's a much harder way to do that. So I think there, the shift is starting to happen. And I think everyone is on board. But how do we get that momentum going is something that I'd like to see because I don't feel confident in, at the high school at this point of telling kids that, um, that, they, that they would be safe to take what they want to. Yes, if they want to do that, if they want to study this particular area, then um, that makes sense for them. I think the other thing that you mentioned, and I agree with this, it's a Pandora's box in terms of a race for the top to math. I mean, once a high school offers BC calculus, the next they get pressure to offer multivariable calculus. And suddenly you have this, um, you know, and then it's linear algebra, you know, that you start seeing all of this happen in, 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 um, in certain high schools. I think that what I appreciate about admissions officers and, and um, Dr. Weiser brought this up, which is great, is that I trust that high school, uh, that, that um, excuse me, I'll say that again. What I appreciate is that um, college admissions officers recognize the context of the high school that students come from. And I think it all depends on what is offered at a school and what the resources that are available to the school. Where I see issue is if the resources um, are available or the higher level courses are available to students, then colleges, selective colleges expect students to be in those courses to be a competitive applicant. So what I keep hearing from all four of us, um, or all four of you, is that like there definitely needs to be a shift and that I know that I know at Ohio State and some other uh, universities that there's a shift happening, uh, at least on paper. And I, and I hear Darnell talk about like, okay, so what do we say to these students when they still aren't being, you know, looked at as competitive or the strongest students? So if not calculus, 
how do we see who the strongest or most competitive students are uh, in the college admissions process? And I actually want to go to Dr. Weiser first. This is where our research and, and data over lots of years and a large applicant pool has has looked at units of math. So this idea of of continuation of maturity in in math that that every student who is studying a math based uh, uh, curricula at Ohio State is going to take some sort of or demonstrate some level of of placement in math and whether that's the university placement tests or through, you know, they've already taken it through dual enrollment, for example. So the idea of being able to, to have the institutionally contextual uh, way that from a success standpoint that, that we want to help guide students in a particular way. I, I think part of it, too, is that if we can have a level of granularity where the faculty there there are a handful of programs and and some in highly selective situations where the level in which the instruction begins does require students to be at a more similar level and if institutions can be really transparent about that then I think then the admission students don't go through the same sort of funnel and the same review process as the students who have to have that, you know, similar understanding of math. And 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 that's on incumbent upon the institutions to be able to to help in that in that process. The more that we can continue to to be sure that we understand that and refine our selection process. Again, I think like many conversations around college admission, it tends to skew the conversation toward the most selective institutions when in fact, most of the students who are educated in this country are not being educated at these most highly selective institutions. Duquesne is, is producing very successful students. Ohio State is serving students where they are in their educational journey. And our concern is that we don't lose them in math, that, that we continue to have these competencies so that when they do go to college, they can have a level of confidence that they can tackle a whole variety of uh, educational opportunities, particularly those ones that are in new and emerging fields. So, you know, we've talked about about the this idea of you know data science and and uh, analysis. That if we don't keep students engaged and prepared in that computation, we've lost a part of our workforce, and and we're reliant on that. Um, you know, for for societal good to ensure that students feel like they have some connection and success around math concepts. And Robert, I kind of want to get your uh, you to weigh in on this as well. Um, you know, from your perspective as a secondary math teacher, um, how can you help maybe some college admissions people that are listening to this that uh, are 
maybe starting to second guess, like, okay, so what are some things that we could look for um, in terms of a high school pathway that could show that, oh, these students are strong in different ways in the world of mathematics. So can you kind of paint that picture uh, for them, whoever is listening? Yeah, I, I'm not going to, this is a complex question. I'm not going to pretend like I have this magic answer, right? Uh, in the same way that the SAT was a factor and is no longer a factor for many schools, we're trying to figure out which criteria are actually valuable in predicting who will be successful and which are just unnecessary gatekeepers. And I think that that happens more often than, than we want to account for. And, and I think it goes back to what Dr. Atko said, just there's a lot of gatekeeping in terms of who gets to take these courses. Um, I would say that I agree with Dr. Weiser in the sense that uh, more math class is, is valuable. I agree with Dr. Aiko in, in terms of that it should align with what they actually need and care about. Um, going back to what uh, Darnell said, I, I wonder about whether it's causation or correlation that students who get into college are more likely to have taken calculus. Like, was the acceptance because of taking calculus? Or is it that the students who are successful enough to be very strong applicants are also the ones who are more likely to take calculus? I think that, yeah. I, and I think that, you know, if schools, I, this is me with a magic wand here, but like if schools were to release their uh, application data and, and anonymize it, but just say like, here's who applied and what their qualifications were, and we could control for all factors, but math, uh, I think it'd be really, really interesting just to see, was that class truly, because uh, Darnell's 100% right. If, if schools are saying one thing and doing something completely different, that's very bad. But also I think we, we, each individually have, well, maybe except for Dr. Weiser, have access to very limited data to actually see what is happening. I just wanted to say, um, uh, Robert, that I thought you brought up a really interesting point. And, and this is one in terms of data that I'd like to see, is I'd like to see for particular colleges in the freshman class they admitted, what was the highest level math, what was the, the senior level math course of the student. So I'd like to see the numbers of who they admitted and how that breaks down. Because I think I would feel more confident telling a student, listen, take what you want to, 50% of the kids that they accepted, take what you're, not what you're interested in, what's best for you. If we could see that colleges were admitting students at a high level uh, in various different courses. So that's just on kind of my wish list because I think the data doesn't lie. And to be able to show students, so Harvard can come out with a statement like that. But then how do they back that up with the data to show us that they're actually doing that? And and Darnell, you raise a great point that that this is this is part of the dilemma as we talk broadly to students across uh, you know backgrounds that where some of the answer in high schools is is to provide math options to keep students in, engaged. And so I think there's a, you know, in some cases, it, uh, uh, high schools who have to, in order to be able to meet certain kinds of state requirements, are offering, you know, financial or consumer math, for example, for as a senior year option. And so that may not be the best you know, preparation for someone who's studying college level material, whether it's history or whether it's it's data science. And you know that the 
the part of this conversation in a competitive situation, it's never a singular factor that is determining. And and to your your point, Robert, that that it really is through that holistic review. Is it is it causation or correlation? I really love that concept. That this idea is that that students who are taking a fourth year of math that's considered higher level math, which tends to be the requirement that it's, you know, whether it's AP statistics or a a uh, something that the high school creates that might be an alternative to calculus, that being able to say that it's about the higher level math concepts that we hope that students will be able to take that to be able to help them um, be prepared. And and that's where, again, um, sometimes that, that message can be confusing because a student who might be taking a consumer math as a fourth year of math might not be, uh, you know, taking that, that preparedness, you know, being prepared. I want to jump in here and, and Rachel, I want to go over to you because uh, you brought up the issue of equity at the very end of your opening statement. And I just want to talk a little more and hear more about that from all of you. Like, how do we make things more equitable? Because you just talked about like, as several of you talked about like rural schools can't even offer as many courses. And then you have like the independent schools versus the public schools and all the different things happening. So is there a way even to start making steps towards more equitableness in terms of the maths? offered and then and how that reflects college admissions process? So one of the things that I, I tried to look for was data and research that is telling us what is actually happening. Unfortunately, the data is showing that not all high schools offer calculus and often the course is stratified by income and race. And, and so what is now really something that we need to think about is the fact that if most of the students seem to have college, I mean, they have calculus in their transcript, that means that then who is going to college or who is being accepted in college? Is it students who have a good transcript or that shows that there is a high level mathematics? And what does that mean about those students who did not have opportunities to have some of those courses in their transcripts? And, and so something that was also interesting in some of the work that I was looking at. So here is um, a research done by Just Equation and the National Association of College Admission. And they were looking at the demographics of students who took calculus. And it's interesting that the, the demographics show some disparities in that more than 50% of Asian students take calculus. 22% of white students took calculus. 9% of black students took calculus. 14% of Latino students took calculus. Now that is telling us something that perhaps the admission process is leaving out some student population. Whether it is on income or race, my push is that we really need to think about 
what is a good transcript. And some colleges have gone ahead, and I think Darlene mentioned it, uh, or Dr. Wise, where she talked about that idea of what is the math course that was available to that student and what were they able to do. I think that is a fairer way of helping even parents and admission counselors to look at the admission package of a student and not um, allow, you know, how do I put it? Not begin stratifying by race and by socioeconomic status. So what is available? What have you done? That for me would be more important in a, the admission process because indeed if a student has done a reasonable mathematics course that is pushing them to understand the math, they're able to critically think. They can't be successful in college in any course. Um, in fact, for if they just take AP, if we push them to take AP calculus, they're just certain courses that will be advantageous if you've had the AP calculus with you, engineering, um, computer science. But then other, if they have at least something like trigonometry statistics, they'll apply this in all courses. And, and for me, that is what I really wish we could help each other think about. What does the student have and how have they been able to be successful? with what is available for them. And, and I have, you know, one final question. Um, so as, as my own, uh, kids get older, um, and we're looking at, you know, we're, we're going to be looking at college admissions and things like that. What advice should I give my own student or my own kids about, um, like, should they take an, an honors pathway, an AP pathway, a regular pathway, or maybe should they do dual enrollment? Um, which one would make them better prepared uh, to be college students mathematically? Yeah, I guess I would say, you know, it, it's, it's an interesting, it's interesting and it's everybody has a different story. I mean, I think the, when I think of in my heart of hearts, what I want for students is to be engaged in learning, interested in learning, following um, courses that excite them, that um, that that um, encourage them to want to study further. And I would tell I tell families that I think that that what you want to think about is what is the appropriate level of challenge or work for each child. And and what I like to say is that I think that you know you want to you want you, if you're a sailboat on the water it's fine to have some bits that are choppy but you don't want to have so many big swells that the boat has the danger of sinking so you want to look at each child and all of the other things that they're interested in how they spend their time what the offerings are of the high school and um, and I would say that you know. Um, we as educators really try and translate the the what we know about the curriculum first. In the best cases, educators try and um, translate the the um, educational offerings to students and families. But I think it's also I think for students and families to understand what their options are and to think about what's best. Looking further um, down the pathway is smart. I don't think there's one golden road or path for each child. And Robert, could you uh, chime in kind of to wrap up the secondary side of this? Um, if it's your own children, 
like which path, like, should they take a dual enrollment course as opposed to like an AP or a regular calc or something along those lines? It sucks being a parent and trying to navigate this. Like I'm a freaking hypocrite. So like my son goes to a district where if you don't take all of sixth and half of seventh and sixth grade, the other half of seventh and all of eighth and seventh grade and an algebra and eighth, you're screwed. You can't get into the, the high schools you want. And so I'm in this, do I stand up for my principles and, and, and just torpedo my son? or let him go into this path. Now, fortunately he has someone who can help him map. It actually doesn't need my help, but the point is it sucks being a parent. There's no right answer. I'm going to agree with Darnell that ideologically would like a student to be in a class that's right for them and not to be in a class that is far beyond their capacity at that moment, just because it looks good on college application. I think if we remove that requirement, people can start to sort into the classes that best meet their needs. Like why jump straight to calculus when maybe pre-calculus might be a better option for you. So I feel like what we require of students and what is best for them are not aligned well. And uh, Dr. Aiko, um, what advice could I give my own kids? And this is, I'm saying this for me selfishly, but anybody else is listening that has kids as well. You know, it's interesting um, that when I was really preparing for this particular debate, I wish that I could go back and re-advise my children because I was that parent who pushed my kids to take as many AP courses as they could. First of all, um, one thing that I would say is let the kids enjoy their high school. Stop pushing kids to just take in so much math and have no life. I enjoyed my high school. I want your child, all our children to enjoy their high school. And so what I would say is I would agree with um, what Rob has said, where he has said, you, you understand your child best. If you have a child who is constantly wanting to work and work and work and they don't get frustrated and they're probably excelling, let them go through the AP calculus. But then the conversations that I think you need to have with your child is what, what do you want to do in future? I know sometimes kids know what they want, but sometimes they don't. And, and then help your child to realize their dream early instead of pushing them this is what I want. You know, sometimes us parents want our children to be what we think they should be. That's where we go wrong because that's when we make them lose the love of learning. So my parting shot is understand your child, see the way they are studying. So I'm also going back to what Darlene is saying, know what they want to do and help them through that path. If they want to challenge themselves, let them challenge themselves. Don't say no, no, no. But then if they don't do so well, also be that parent who is big, who will be like, it is okay. You can still pursue that path that you want through different ways. I don't know whether I've answered your question, but that is what I would. Uh, and, and then Dr. Weiser, um, so I just uh, returned from with my oldest son uh, from a beautiful laid out campus in Columbus, Ohio. Um, this past week and he had the whole way home has told me how he has aspirations of wanting to go to the Ohio State University. So, uh, again, speaking to anybody who would want to, you know, go to a, a university or a college, or even if it's a two year, like what pathway should they take? Yeah, you've, you've nailed it first and foremost of the first conversation is what do you want to do after high school? You know, what, what options and pathways do you want to pursue? 
And if that option and pathway includes thinking about a, a college or university that is has a competitive admissions process, then then the advice may be a little different than someone who might be thinking about I want to I want to work after high school I want to go to the military or perhaps I'm looking at a very specific training or technical program. So I, uh, Dr. Aiko, I love um, you sort of holding yourself honest that I agree that students cannot run out of gas in high school. That that they've got four, six, eight years of education potentially, and that if they've so much burned themselves out in high school that uh, that they don't have anything uh, left to be able to give in college, we want to be able to have them have uh, something available. So, in terms of your answering your correct your question directly, Rob, the idea is that that it is challenging themselves to the best of the ability they can without setting themselves up for failure. Whether they are in calculus or whether they're in pre-calculus or algebra two, the most challenging piece is if they are so in over their heads that they get you know, a failing grade or a, a very low grade in a course uh, because they're taking it and they're not prepared to be able to to do the the rigor of that particular course. Uh, but for students who are, again, Dr. Aiko, that the students who are are ready for that, very curious, can handle the the workload. The best option is to first of all take math. The second is take the math course that you are best prepared to take and do your homework about what the individual institution requires. If they say, and this is where you know, those who have college counseling like Darnell and her team provides can be able to know the institutions to say, this is my experience at those institutions can be good so, uh, pathfinders for, for students. But we also know that there are just as many students who have calculus who don't get into those institutions as they are that do have it. So again, there is not one singular thing that is uh, keeping students in or out of those competitive institutions, uh, but to be able to say to students, my advice is whatever that pathway is, don't give up on math. And on that note, uh, I think I'm going to end our questioning around here. We will now end by giving each speaker a chance to make their final arguments to you. And we'll begin with Robert Kaplitsky. Thank you. So I'll end with a metaphor that may seem like a stretch, but it makes an important point. So consider the death penalty. Whether you're for or against the death penalty, you must accept that a consequence of having the death penalty is that innocent people will be wrongfully sent to death. It's inevitable. Similarly, you must accept that a consequence of our calculus or bus society is that some students who would have loved math and excelled if it was taught at a reasonable pace will now feel lost, start disliking math, and will no longer continue down a path towards STEM majors. It's inevitable. 
there's no reason for calculus to stay as a pinnacle math class, which is valued above all others. It's not mathematically superior to class like statistics or data science. It is time for us to update our policies to both better align with student preferences and what they actually need for them to be successful in colleges and careers. This change would greatly reduce the need for acceleration and pressure for teachers to rush to their standards, and there would be more time to focus on foundational concepts, especially in middle school. And next up, we will have the final word from Darnell Haywood. Darnell, go ahead. Yes, Robert, I love the way you used a metaphor. So I'm going to do use one that I often use in talking with um, my students and families. I say a little bit, I'm like a spine doctor. I'm telling you what I know about college admissions and I know about the spine. But what you need to think about as students, as parents, is what's best for the whole child. Because what's best for the spine may not be best for the arm or the neck or all of these other parts of the bodies that are happening. So although you can hear that um, these, you should be taking the most challenging courses available to you and that um, calculus is considered, um, you know, one of the most rigorous courses that are that is available in a high school. I think that um, you can know that information, that families and students can know that information and then make the best decision for them based on the uh, growth and development and I, of, of each individual child. And today, I really do feel a need to mention that the race to the top, the stress and anxiety that comes along with trying to fit into the mold of college admissions has real consequences in terms of um, the mental health of our children. And so I'm going to encourage everyone to go away from this, knowing that there are things that we need to work on and that uh, we thank you so much for having this Debate Math podcast where we can talk about some of our dreams, hopes and dreams for what will change. And that ultimately right now, all of our jobs is to put students at the center of our work. Thank you. And now a final word from Dr. Rachel Aiko. What I would want to say to parents and children and admission counselors is that we should let children enjoy their high school experience and always have conversations to think about how they can build themselves. Have conversations about what careers are standing out and what competency do you need to be successful in the present um, 21st century? And then lastly, what is available in your school? And with that knowledge, how can you create a path that will help you to meet your dream, not only in high school, but also when you begin your career at college? Even if you do not have some of the advanced placement courses, with what you have, you are able to be very successful. But again, I point that I want that you know your society you know your community and use that path that will help you to know your community. Thank you. And with the final word, we have Dr. Beth Weiser. I am a math cheerleader and it is so important in understanding fundamental reasoning and concepts that help students in a whole variety of disciplines that they may wish to study. So for students who are considering admission at a competitive or a selective institution, the reality is as much as we see capable students, as much as we see 
uh, ability to be successful in college. Capacity just doesn't allow us to admit every single student in those competitive situations. So we want to encourage students to take math and continue in the ability to to have students meet uh, what's available to them and to be able to think about how they can can continue to challenge themselves all four years of high school. Whether a student has calculus or not is never going to be a singular deterrent or singular factor of being able to be admitted to a selective institution. It really is the the holistic look at a student's application, but being able to continue with math at the appropriate level is really going to help students in their plans after high school as they continue on to higher education. Wonderful. Thank you all. That concludes our debate. And you've given us so much to think about. It's up to our listeners now to take a moment, ponder the arguments, and consider what resonated with you. Make sure that you uh, go check out our Twitter at DebateMathPod to share your thoughts on this debate. And huge thanks to all four of our guests for giving up your time and sharing with us. Uh, wow, it was so thoughtful, respectful, coming from different points of view. I think there's lots of areas that you all agreed on. And I think there's lots of uh, assumptions and things that we pointed out and the, the causations and correlations and differences, things like that. Uh, Thank you all so much. I, I learned a lot from this and I'm rethinking some of my uh, uh, assumptions. And then thanks to all you that are listening. Uh, we hope that you enjoyed and learned from this, uh, this new different style and approach that we took uh, for this episode. Um, like Chris said, there was so much uh, to think about. And uh, as always, we always go back and listen to our, our episodes a few times prior to release. And I can't wait to come back and, and listen to it and engage in discussions and discourse with uh, with other college admissions people and, and uh, people that are able to make decisions like this as well. So thank you all for listening. And as we wrap up, Robert Kaplinski, where can listeners find you? Yeah, I have a website at robertkaplinski.com and I'm also on social media as well uh, at Robert Kaplinski. And Darnell Haywood, where can listeners find you? Well, I am at uh, Columbus Academy, Director of College Counseling, but I do have a wonderful um, woman that I work with, Jennifer Fitzpatrick, who runs a Vikings to College Instagram and Twitter. And I'm going to give Jen Fitzpatrick the shout out for this because she's the brains behind the business. And we have lots of interesting tidbits um, on both of those accounts about college admissions, college counseling, and a little fun and fluff because we work with high student students. And uh, Rachel, where can listeners find you? I do have a Twitter account. Um, I also have an Instagram account. If you just go and uh, you say Rachel Ayeko, you should be able to find me. I'm trying to get um, up, uh, running and posting a lot of stuff. I post here and there, but you can get me. And also you can use my email, ayekor at duq.edu. I'd be happy to talk to you more. Thank you. And uh, Dr. Weiser, where can people find you? People can find me through my email, weiser.11 at osu.edu. Also through Twitter, Beth underscore Weiser. 
uh, is another way to reach out. And I did get it wrong. Can I say one thing? It's Vikes to college, not Vikings to college. I'm on summer mode, Vikes to college. Excellent. And thank you all. Have a great night. Want to learn more about incorporating debate activities into your math classroom? Go to lozniak.com slash podcast to sign up for my mailing list and get your first set of example debate activities you could use with your students today. Go to lozniak.com slash podcast. Don't forget to reach out to us with comments and questions on debatemath.com or follow us on Twitter at debatemathpod and follow along with hashtag debatemathpod. Rate us and review us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to this podcast. Your feedback is super important to us. Well, that's all from us. Looking forward to debating with you more next episode. Until next time, cheers. Cheers.